who has despised the day of small things or small beginnings? I want to tell you today as I begin part three of our series, Reigniting God's Generals, that every general in the natural world, whether it be in any branch of military, whether it be in our country or another country, that has achieved the rank of general or achieved the rank of whatever they want to call the supreme commanding rank, they all started out the same way. They, all, they didn't start out as a general. Can I get an amen? They didn't start out as a commander of other people. They all started out with a small beginning. Every general of the faith, every general in the natural has a story. Every one of them has a story that brought them to where they are. Billy Graham had a story. If you know his story, you know he come from very humble beginnings. In fact, there were certain things that had to happen in his life. How many would agree, by the way, that Billy Graham was a general? If there ever was a general of the faith, it was Billy Graham. But, but he was just a, a lanky old teenage boy. But it took people being strategically placed in his life and certain people loving him and speaking into him and compelling him. As I've told the story many times, is in a little tent revival. Was it Mordecai Ham was the one that was preaching, I believe? No, what? Mordecai Ham was preaching, and he was preaching in this little tent revival, and he gave an altar call, and Billy Graham did not come. He was the only one pretty much in the tent that didn't come. But thank God for men that were sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to compel one more time. And he, be he begged and pleaded and compelled one more time. And on the second call to the altar, a lanky teenage boy came down to the altar and got saved. And the rest is history. But a general was birthed because he had the help of another general. Just because you don't fill stadiums, just because your names are not listed in books of the greatest preachers in the history of the world does not mean that you do not fall under the rank of a general of the faith. Now before you start twisting my words, because this was hit up on, on Facebook uh, back when Elevate Conference happened, and I talked about we had three generals coming here. I had religious people hit me up saying, there's no generals. Quit calling them men general. They're just men. You can hold up, brother. They just called them, they just called them men. There ain't no generals. Well, let me tell you something right now. That's a religious mindset. They, they prejudge what I was trying to say. I wasn't trying to say that Clint Brown, Rod Parsley, and Perry Stone were somehow greater men and somehow were at a more elite level than any of us in this room or anybody else in this room. I was just talking about these are three men who have been in the fight, who have been on the front lines, who have gone through stuff that people in this room couldn't even imagine that they've gone through, and they're still in the fight. So we honor them. We honor the generals of the faith. Generals of the faith are not necessarily older people. There's some young people in this house who are walking under the mantle of a general. Are you with me, church? See, every general of the faith has a story. Their story did not begin with greatness. Their story began like every other military man or woman ever began, the first thing they had to do was sign up to serve. Oh, I'm preaching already better than you shouting. How many knows every single military leader either voluntarily signed up or signed out a form and was drafted into the military? But they all had to take an oath. Huh? You think about it. MacArthur, some of the other great names that you could think of. At one point in their life, they were in a room full of other young men and other young women that just simply raised their hands and made a pledge to defend this nation. Who knew in that room there was a general? Who knew in that room there was a four-star or five-star general? Who knew in the room 
There'd be people that would quit. There'd be people that would go AWOL standing right next to somebody who would develop a plan to save a nation. Am I preaching all right? But the general had to start by signing up to serve. God cannot use you in the army of God if you are not willing to serve. How do you take that oath? How do you take that pledge? Well, we don't, we don't make you go in a room somewhere, raise your right hand and say, I lay a rag and deuce, solemnly swear to serve at Solid Rock Church and the rock babies in the nursery. I solemnly swear that I will park cars with a smile on my face. I solemnly swear. Oh, come on, y'all hear me. We don't do that. That's a cult. We're not a cult. Some of y'all think we're a cult. Somebody watching right now thinks we're a cult. But it's strange to me that you think we're a cult, but you keep watching every Sunday. It's just strange to me. No, no, no. No, I'm talking about whether you raised your hands or whether you went to your knees. At whatever process it was, you, with a broken heart and a contrite spirit, made a commitment to God and not to this church and not to me as your pastor. You said, Lord, come into my heart and save me. I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. And when you did that, you signed up. Your name is now written in a log. Huh? It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Every general had to first enlist. They had to be a group. They had to be in a group with other recruits just like them. Not only would we never dream that in that room there were three, four, five-star generals, they never dreamed it either. Generals, most all generals of the faith, especially of the faith that we're talking about of Christianity, none of them start out thinking they're going to be a general in the faith. Because a believer starts out with a servant's heart and understands they're so in awe of what God did for them. You know, the, the, the most effective witness in the entire body of Christ as a new born-again believer that hasn't been in church long enough to be programmed by the rest of the church people. That's what's wrong with church people. They hang around other church people that's been going there for so long they didn't forget what it felt like to be born again. They want to try to calm down excited, radical, new uh, born-again believers, and we want to try to prepare them for the road ahead. Honey, you, you need to dial that back a little because you don't know what's coming. So you need to save that energy for what's coming. I, uh, listen, when I was in my early 20s pastoring and preaching, you think I preached fire now, you ought to see me back then. But just what they, 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 they would come and tell me, you need to calm down. Because you're going to fizzle out. Nobody can stay that intense. When you're in your 40s and your 50s and your 60s, you're going to have to slow down. Well, I got news for you. They were wrong then and they're wrong now. I want you to write this one down. This is a tweetable moment. You can never walk in greatness until you make a decision to serve. Simple but profound. You cannot be great if you do not serve. Greatness is tied to your ability to impact other people's lives. You may be a great inventor. You may be a great investor of money and made a lot of money. But when people ask people that know you, what kind of man or woman do you think they are? You don't want them to say they were a great investor. When you're gone, you don't want your family and your kids to say, well, I'll tell you one thing about my dad or my mom. They were a great carpenter. How'd you feel about your dad? Well, I'm going to tell you what, he was a great carpenter. He was, he was good with computers. He, boy, I tell you what, he loved to hunt deer, and he was a great deer hunter. Listen, 
That's not greatness. When you have, you have done all you can do to personally achieve great goals for yourself, but you've left everybody behind, there is, that's not greatness. Oh, it's quiet in here because I'm hitting home with some mamas and some daddies. Oh, and preachers, you don't want your kids to say, well, I'll tell you what, he was a great preacher. The mighty men and women of God are forged in everyday service to others. The kingdom is built on serving others, not yourself. Can I get an amen? Some of the greatest generals have come from the least likely people. As I've said, Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, and most of the others that we think of from that era of greatness came from very poor environments came out of the Great Depression, extreme sickness, and very little education. Some of them didn't even finish high school. Some of them, there were some of the greatest preachers in the history of the world, never even made it to high school. So what makes a general a general? Number one, if you're taking notes, i got five numbers for you. Number one, what makes a general a general? Number one, he is a man... Of determination. He is a man or a woman. Please, let, can I just go ahead and not worry about the ladies getting offended at me if I say man, he is a man. I'm talking about you two ladies. Can I, all my ladies in the house, if you give me a pass, just say preach on. Okay, so y'all got me, all right? Okay. He is a man of determination. Generals do not quit. Generals do not quit. Point your finger at somebody and tell them, you better not quit because I need you. Mm -hmm. Generals don't quit. You don't, you don't get a star put up on your shoulder because you quit. Am I right, Richard? Ain't never been nobody ever had a star put up on their shoulder and a medal hung up on their jacket that was a quitter, that ran from the battle. The president don't wrap a medal around the head of soldiers that ran from the battle. He wraps a medal around soldiers that ran and jumped on top of hand grenades on behalf of somebody else. That put themselves in harm's way on behalf of somebody else. Those are the ones that get the medals, not the quitters. We got too many quitters in the church. First sign of offense first sign that the preacher says something you don't like, first sign that something happens in the church and a decision was made that didn't line up with the decision you thought that was made, let me tell you, it's a human nature thing and it ought not be that way for a child of God, but the first thing we say is, well, maybe the Lord is telling me it's time for me to move on. No, you just want to quit in the midst of the battle. You should never leave a church when you are offended. If God is moving you, God does not move in offense. If he really is moving you from one church, it'll be when things are going great. When it's the best it's ever been. And then the Lord says, you know what, I got something for you to do. I'm, I'm moving you on. I, 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 can, I can talk with you in my office on that one. It might shock me. I'm like, my God, I thought everything was amazing. You say it is amazing. I don't, I don't ever want to lose to quit ties with you. Don't want to cut ties with this house. This is my church. But God's moving me in a different way. Let me tell you something. You leave in the midst of a fence, God did not move you. Here's the thing that blows my mind. You'll tell me that God moved you away from Solid Rock or some other church. God's, I don't know where. This is the thing. I, and look, I, I'm, I'm Y'all got to pray for me because the older I get, the, the, the less my filter is working. And, and it's like, because I used to just say, well, praise the Lord, brother. I understand whatever the Lord tells you. But when I hear this one, all, all I know, I can't really tell you where we're going. But I just know it's time. My family says it's time for us to move on. And we're going we're gonna to find us a place. Well, let me tell you something. That's confusion. Why would God move you out of a flock with a shepherd and just send you out there on your own in the midst of the wolves if he ain't already got you a place where he's supposed to take you? Oh, I'm preaching better than you shouting. These people that leave churches and say, well, I want to shop around and find a church. Listen, 
You left because you quit in the midst of battle. What a great Thanksgiving message. What makes a general a general? Number two, he is a man of honor. Wait a minute, I thought he was honored. You don't get honored unless you are honoring others. Honor is a two-way street. You honor up, and you honor out, and you honor down. You honor those that are over you, you honor those that are your peers, and you honor those that you lead. As a general, he or she has great honor from others, but he only achieves that honor because he has lived a life of honor. Number three, a general is a man who follows the vision. Follows the vision. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought the general was the one that had the vision. No, the general is the one that's carrying out the vision of the president. Whether he agrees with the president or not, whether he voted for the president or not, he takes an oath to uphold the Constitution and to carry out the orders of the commander-in-chief. A pastor that goes rogue and tries to do his thing against what God's word said is not, not only is he not a general, he is a wall. The pastor carries out the vision that has been put in his heart and on him from the commander of the host of the armies of Israel and the house of God, his name is Jesus. Oh, I'm preaching better than you shouting. See, a general is never someone who, who lives a life made of disobeying orders. How can a general ever make it to a five-star status, elite status, when he's had a career of doing nothing but disobeying orders. Who is going to promote someone to that level if their history is over and over and over hearing the Lord tell them to do something and they don't do it? You're wondering why you're not being used by God? Because you're not being used by God because you made the decision to not be used by God. I told you this is deep Sunday. You say, well, I'm waiting on God. Well, God's waiting on you. When, when's he going to tell me I can preach? Well, I don't know. But he has told you to park a car. He has told you to shake a hand. He has told you to raise your hands and worship God during worship, but you can't even do that. He has told you, come on, somebody. He has told you to pray. He has told you to read your Bible, but you can't even do that. But you're waiting on him to open up doors for you to preach in Colosseums. How many loves your pastor? I didn't say how many is happy right now or how many agrees with me. I just said if you love me. See, the church is in a mess because the church, for the most part, refuses to take instructions from those that are over them. Tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. Selah. Here's the problem with a lot of people. They don't want to take instruction from somebody that might be younger than them. But the thing about it is the one that's younger than them is more faithful than you. And they're trying to help you, not lord over you. Mm. Another thing a general is, number four, is he is a man of war. How many has ever heard the term peace? Well, I'm a person of peace. Well, that means you're a person of war. Do you understand? Peace is a war term. Peace doesn't mean everything is going good. Peace means we won the battle. 
That's why you hear people say, talking about the military, they serve in wartime and they serve in peacetime. Peacetime just simply means we won the last war that's keeping us out of that war. The moment we get we fall asleep in peacetime and we just don't think it could ever happen again, I'm saying this with respect, somebody flies a plane into a building. In peacetime. And then peace becomes wartime. And now some of you think, far as the war and terrorism, that we're in peacetime. You forgot all about the fact that we have young men and women and and seasoned men and women and generals all over this world right now still fighting the war on terrorism. Generals are men of war. They are battle-tested. They've had stories. They don't just tell the stories about how Man, how much fun they had in leave when they all got drunk in the bar. They might have that story, but a general has a story when bullets were flying over their head and when bombs were dropping all around them. And a general has stories of holding his, his brother in his arms and watching him die. A general has a story of dragging somebody's body out when bullets are flying by his ears and they looks back and the, and the guy he's pulling don't even have a set of legs anymore. That's the story of a general. And you want to listen to somebody that ain't never been in a fight? Listen, I, if I'm going to try to learn how to fight the battle, I want to learn from somebody that's been in a fight. You don't ask somebody for direction that ain't ever been where you want to go. If you ain't never been to Birmingham, all you've ever done is go to Nashville that direction and you ain't never been to Birmingham in your life. What sense does it make for me out in the backwoods country somewhere on a county road trying to figure out how to get to Birmingham and ask you how to get to Birmingham? You ain't never been. But if you've been to Birmingham, you can tell me to get out of Birmingham. If you've been in a fight and you're still alive, you can tell me how to fight and stay alive. That's why we need generals. That's why we can't forget the the older folks. That's why we can't forget the elders. That's why we can't push them in a back room and call them not existent and no longer relevant. That's why we can't change everything about what we do as a church that X's them out and puts them in nursing homes and and they're just forgotten because nobody cares about them. Some of the greatest preachers of the gospel now, some of the greatest preachers are now suffering with Alzheimer's. Many of them are suffering and they have heart disease. They have they have different kinds of uh, arthritis problems or walking on walkers and they feel completely useless but I'm going to tell you if there's breath in their body we need them I'm not talking about preachers, just preachers. I'm talking about praying grandmas that ain't never been on a stage in her life. But for 60 and 70 years, she's 90 now. And for 50, 60, 70 years, she got on her knees every night and prayed for her sons and her daughters and her grandbabies and prayed for her nation and prayed for the soldiers. That's a general. Are y'all with me? general is a man of war. Number five, a general is a general because he understands he is a man who is nothing without his soldiers. A general is useless without his soldiers that he leads. Are y'all hearing me? A general without an army is like a leader without followers. They're just taking a walk. See, some of y'all think, well, I'm a leader. I'm a leader. Well, look behind you. Is anybody following you? If not, you just walk around calling yourself a leader. You ain't no leader. You're just taking a walk. Well, I'm a general. I'm a general of the faith. I've been going to church for 35 years. I'm a general of the faith. Well, okay. Is there any soldiers following you? Huh? When's the last time somebody asked you for advice? Hmm. 
I'm preaching good this morning. I'm earning that turkey on Thursday. Come on, Jesus. See, the greatest and most well-known king of Israel was who? David. David wasn't perfect by no means. Committed adultery, the very best accessory to murder, probably a murderer. But David, the greatest king in the history of Israel, started out as a lowly shepherd. See, no one, I mean no one, including David, ever saw David as a king except the commander and chief of the host of Israel. Huh? See, he was not only a lowly shepherd. He was looked over by his own father, by his own brothers, and even questioned by the prophet of God. See, God spoke to the prophet Samuel. And he said, I'm going to take you to a young man. And I want you to take this oil and pour it, put it in a horn, which was symbolic of worship. And I want you to pour it on his head. I'm going to send you to a village, an obscure village. You're going to find him, and I want you to pour it on his head. And when you pour it on his head, I want you to anoint him as king of Israel. Now, how many knows that's the general of all generals of Israel? Because the kings of Israel fought. They were warriors. They fought. They were the ultimate five-star general of their own army, even though they were kings. Are you hearing me? So when he went to anoint him, he wasn't just going to anoint him as king. He was going to anoint him as the five-star general of all the armies of Israel. Because that's what the king is. Samuel gets to town. He finds David's daddy's house. He walks into Jesse's house and he says, I'm on, a, I'm on a mission from God to anoint the next king of Israel from your loins. Oh, man, I've been, I've been praying for something like this to happen. I've been grooming my boys for something big. Line up, boys. But come here, oldest son, because I know how this thing works. The blessings go down from the father to the eldest son. So you stand right here, and then we're going to line up everybody else in order of age. And, and I love all y'all, but you know how things are going. He's going to be the one. Here he is, Samuel. Now watch this. Generals are not created, birthed, and ordained out of man-made privilege, out of the opinions of others, and out of who has correctly positioned themselves politically. See, there's some people, they don't want to talk to anybody else, but they want to talk to the pastor. Huh? I could be standing right here with 20 different men and women up here to pray for, for the sick, and I call for people who needs a miracle. And who you think everybody's going to line up in front of? Not everybody, but most people are going to line up right in front of me. Now, I understand the heart is somewhat pure. That's my pastor. He's anointed. I want him to pray for him. But what happens is mentally we automatically gravitate to who we think is the most anointed. The truth is, there's people, many people in this church who are much more heavily anointed to pray for the sick than I am. They have a mantle on their life. There are people in this house who have a mantle of prophet, who are ordained to prophesy and read people's mail on another level that I have never walked in and will never walk in because that's not what I've called to do. 
but yet you want to get a word from me and you don't want to hear a word from them. But some people aspire to be a general for the title. So they're going to jockey their way, make all the connections they need to make to position themselves right next to the man. Thinking that when it's time for the man to pass his mantle down, he's going to look for the ones that's right beside him. Now, if you're right beside the man of God because you're serving him like an Elisha, that's a whole nother sermon. Because those people are not looking for stage time. Those people are looking to wash the prophet's hands and carry his coat. Just because you carry my Bible, don't, it ain't the same thing as washing my hands when I'm down in the dirt. Did you turn on me when things wasn't so good and go find you a nicer, shinier pastor? Or did you help clean me up? Well, so that's what we do now. We trade pastors in like we trade used cars. We vote them out like we do. We'll, we'll, how, look, look how we treat a car. We love that car, but at some point we look down at that odometer and we'd be like, man, that thing's got a lot of miles on it. I mean, it's still running good, but, you know, if I'm going to ever have some resale value out of this thing, I need to trade this bad boy in and give me one with some less miles. So all of a sudden, the the pastor who who married you, who 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 was there when your kids need to be dedicated, who buried your loved ones, who was there in the, all the hell that you went through, gets a little older, can't move around and jump like he used to jump, and you want to trade that gentleman for a newer model. I got news for you though. Some of these new cars, they got low mileage on them. But the first little wreck you have, that joker's totaled. But some of them old vehicles, they hit a pole and then still drive home. Come on, somebody. I got news for you. Some of y'all looking for some new fancy model, but it ain't much but a piece of fiberglass. You need to get you some man, that's some woman that's been, that was built the way they used to be built. That can take a hit. That can go off the road and hit a tree, and you can still drive that joker home. <laughs> Woo! I can't wait to Thanksgiving. Listen, every kingdom general was like it's like David. David has a man after God's own heart. See. He wasn't looking for somebody who was politically positioned. He was looking for somebody who had his heart. See, all his other brothers just had the heart of Jesse. Because Jesse's heart was to elevate one of his sons. All of them except one. And how about this? The one who he had did had not cleaned up, the one he had not brushed his hair, the one he had not put spice little cologne on him, and had him stand in the best garb was the one that God chose. And you know why God chose the one that wasn't in the house? He was the only one that was out there dealing with the sheep. You want a shepherd that got the title because their daddy was a preacher and their granddaddy was a preacher and they're the fourth generation preachers, but if you get around them and sniff them, they don't smell nothing like sheep. You don't want a shepherd that don't smell like sheep. And I got news for you. Sheep stink. You stink. And before you get all mad at me, I are one too. Sheep not only stink, sheep not only got mess all over them, but they're the dumbest animals to ever exist. 
Some of y'all want me to stop saying that because that's offensive to you. Think I'm calling you dumb. No, what I'm doing is illustrating to you the love of God. It is the love of God that he loved us enough to tell us without him how stupid we are. I'm thankful he didn't label us dolphins. Dolphins are super intelligent. They don't need us. They just get out in the water. They talk to each other. They're they happy. They can even kill sharks. They're the only thing that can kill a shark. I mean, dolphins are cool. They're awesome. Some people actually think they can talk to them. I mean, I don't know, but some, some of these scientists say they've created little things. And they carry on conversation. They can tell us what they're saying. I don't know, but they're super intelligent. So you don't, you don't see a dolphin shepherd. Huh? You see horses running wild. The only way to, only, what happens to a horse when, you, when it's wild and you try to ride it? It's going to buck you up. It's not in their nature. You have to force them to come out of their nature. It's not in their nature to submit to you. They're, they're used to being wild, doing their own thing. But a, sheep, but a sheep will just stand there and go, man, man, man. You just tap them on the rear and let's go this way. Man, man. But if the shepherd leaves them and they're, and they're, and they're, uh, they're wandering around in a, in a pasture that's on top of a mountain, like, man, where, where's the shepherd? Man, I don't know. I don't know. Man. So who are we going to follow? Man, let's just follow that first guy up there. He'll be our leader. Man, man. Should we really do that? Should we should wait on a shepherd? No, no, we don't need no shepherd. We don't need no shepherd. We're sheep. Man, 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 man. Falls off the mountain. Now, my dog, AJ, if he saw, it'd be tragedy, but if he saw another dog jump off of, of a Listen, he's smart enough to look over the side, and he might whine a little bit, but he is not going to look down there and say, hold on, I'm coming. He's going to turn around and walk away. But sheep don't do that. Sheep be like, they see, they see Johnny go, man, where'd Johnny go? I don't know. Let's go find him, man. Let's go, man. And one by one, they'll fall off the cliff without a shepherd. So I'm thankful that he called himself a shepherd. He didn't just call us sheep. He called himself a shepherd. Are y'all hearing me? It'd be one thing where the Lord said, well, I'm going to tell you something about y'all. Y'all dumb as, dumb as sheep. I better, I better be careful how I enunciate. I need to enunciate. Yo, you people are dumb as sheep. I know some preachers that wouldn't have said that. But then he said, y'all dumb as sheep, but don't worry. I'm a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Is this good preaching? So he said, he said, now wait a minute. I see all you pretty young boys here. They're all slicked up in shiny shoes and they got their, they got their holes in their jeans and their skinny jeans, got their hair shaved on the side. They Come on, they all look exactly the same, cookie cutter all the way across. They, they all look like they, they should be on a stage somewhere. Is this all you got? Well, I got one, but he ain't got no skinny jeans. I got one, he, 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 he ain't got the cool haircut. I got one, he, 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 don't, he don't know how to do anything except one thing, and it drives me insane. No matter when I call him to dinner, no matter what we try to do here as a family, he'd rather stay out there with those stinking, nasty sheep. All of a sudden, that prophetic antenna went up when he heard that. He said, go bring that boy in here. He walked in. He didn't look nothing like anybody else looked. 
just like you know my story. My wife looked at me when I looked about as low as I could be, and I was begging her to leave me, and she said, I can't leave. And I said, why would you not leave? She said, because I see greatness in you. Samuel looked, and through God, through him, saw greatness in him. And watch this. This is, this is the foundation of a general. The oil was poured on his head. The proclamation was made that he, watch this, not that he would be the king. Go back and read it. He was anointed as the king of Israel as a teenage boy. Because the Bible says that Samuel declared that King Saul had no idea that the anointing and the spirit and the blessing of God had already left him. And now it was on David. And this is a general. This is a future general. This is the foundation of a general. He gets to proclaiming that, pouring that oil on him, and David looks at him and says, thank you, sir. Is this, is this everything? Is this everything? Are, are we good? Is there anything else? Without, I want to respect you and honor you. Is there anything else you need to say to me because I receive it all? Thank you so much, sir. But if you're through, I need to get back to my sheep because they ain't got nobody out there watching them right now. And if I don't get back out there, there's no telling what they're going to do. See, that's a soldier. A soldier doesn't leave anyone behind. A soldier leaves no man behind. Whether they're walking, standing, or whether they've been shot and laying on the battlefield, a soldier, if he has any ability in him, he leaves no man behind. So the, literally the Bible says he walks, he just walks back out of the house and goes back out there and gets his harp and starts tending to the sheep. But he was already the king in the eyes of God. But he still had to be battle tested, didn't he? He had to fight a bear with his own hands. He had to fight a lion to protect the sheep. He opened up the mouth of, of a lion and pulled a sheep out of it. And then, of course, the big battle. He's on his way to take care of his brothers. And he hears a giant standing up on a mountain named Goliath, defying the armies of God. But that general kicked into him. That general walked into Saul and said, I can't believe that you're allowing this to happen. Saul said, what are you talking about? There's a man standing up on the mountain up there mocking the God that created the universe that is our God. How in the world are you allowing this in the time of war? Do you not know who we are? We are the children of Israel. There's a little teenage boy talking. He said, well, I'll tell you what. If you want to go fight him, you can. Here, take my armor. He tried Saul's armor on. Saul was a tall man. It drugged the ground. The Bible said it wouldn't fit him. He took it off, and he said, you know what? I appreciate it. I have not fault in this armor, but I have fault with this sling. Huh? He said, you, you, you keep your, your ways. I'm going to fight the way I've been fighting already for my sheep. You think I'm afraid of him? I fought a lion. I fought a bear. He might be big and tall, but he, he bleeds. He's, he's just like me. He's just a man. He walks up to him and says, you may come to me with a spear and a stone. And Goliath looked at him and said, what, is, what am I, a dog that you would send some pathetic little boy to me? He said, let me tell you something right now. You don't even know who I am. You don't, you don't even know where I've been. You don't even know. You, you wasn't there when I had to go run and pull that lamb out of that lion's mouth. When I was bleeding all over me and being bit and cut. But I'm still standing. I, def I come to you in the name of the Lord. Reaches in his pouch, takes out that rock, and takes him out, cuts his head off. Brings the head back. And instead of a mic drop, he does a head drop. I mean, that was the ultimate mic drop. Come on, are you hearing me? He walks back in. People don't even know what's happening. Here, what, you back already? He's, uh, he got blood running down his hand. They're like, what in the world? He comes in, he goes, boom. They look down and they're like, oh my God, that's called Goliath's head. Watch what happens. This is, how, this is what happens when, when great things happen in battle. People elevate the soldiers. That story became legendary. The women begin to cry, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. Because Goliath went down, the children of Israel raged upon the Philistines and defeated them. And what happened is the general 
who was now only in name only, but had left the fight for the luxury of the tent and the grapes being fed and the giant feather fan who sent his boys to battle and never went to battle anymore, heard that and turned on David. made it very obvious that he was going to kill him because he could not share his glory with no one. So David ran for his life. I'm almost through. David ran for his life. Now, the Bible said at one point while he was running for his life that he went to a cave in a place called Adullam. And he's in this cave hiding out for his life. Listen to what 1 Samuel 22 says, and I'm closing. David therefore departed from there. This is all where we're at right now. And escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all of his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. How, how, how things turn. Now they're coming for the protection of David. But now I want you to listen to the condition of his army. Verse 2. And everyone who was with him, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. All the ones that had everything good stayed with Saul. But all the ones that were struggling and had lost everything and was poor and was in debt ran to David. So he became what? Captain over them. How many knows you don't go straight from private to general? Huh? But God made him a captain. He had fought as a private. He had moved up the ranks in the battle against Goliath. And now God had given him an army and made him captain that army. But what kind of army did he get? He got a, he got a jacked up ragtag bunch of redneck come on hood filling the, fill the blank. I'm talking about as rough as you can get ain't got no money ain't got no influence ain't got nothing. About 400 of them And you know what David did? David, as the captain, began to pour into those rejects. And he began to see things in them they could never see in themselves. And out of those 400 became men that would go on to be known as the mighty men of David. Three in in particular, are listed in 2 Samuel 23. These are of the 400. They didn't start out this way, but they became this because they submitted to a captain who was really a general. 2 Samuel 23 said, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Joseph Bashabeth, the Tachnamite, chief among the captains. He was also called Adino the Esnite because he killed 800 men at one time with his own spear. Do you know what? They nicknamed him. Did you see that? Did you miss that? He was also called Adino the Esnite. That was a nickname. It means the man of the sharp spear. So here's a man who was in debt, who was a reject, who had nothing was trained and now had the ability to kill 800 men by himself at one time with his own spear. The second one that was listed was in verse 9 and 10. It says, there was a man named Eleazar, the son of Dodo. The Ahatite, one of the three mighty men with David when they defied the Philistines who had gathered for them at the battle. 
and the, and the men of Israel had retreated. While the people of God ran, these ran to the battle. Watch what it says. He arose and attacked the Philistines by himself until his hand was so weary that his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after only to plunder. In other words, the soldiers ran away, but he stayed in the fight along with the other one. He kills 800. This man fights till he can't even stand up. You ever ran a weed eater or had something in your hand? You worked all day long, and when you finally get through, you can't even open your hand to get it out of your hand? You ever been there? You, you had to pry it open to get it out of your hand. That's what that means. That means he clamped that sword so hard for so long that when he stood there covered in blood and all these bodies were laying around and he had defended his king, he started to try to drop his sword and he couldn't even drop his sword because his hand had got so used to being around that sword. Would to God we'd have some people in the house of God again that wrapped their hands around the horns of the altar, wrapped their hands around a vision so tight that when the devil tried to come against us and pull us away from what God was trying to do in our lives, we couldn't even let go. We can't let go because this is all we've known. And then the last one is my favorite. Verse 11 and 12. And after him was Shammah. Oh, by the way, by the way, let me back up and tell you, before y'all get all excited about Dodo, I used to preach it this way. It's so awesome that God will use somebody that's a Dodo. But you know what you got to do sometimes? That's Dodo in our language. That's not dodo in their language. When you look up the word dodo, it means his beloved. Look it up in your strongs. The word dodo in the strongs chorus means his beloved. So he wasn't called a dodo. He was called his beloved. So the next time you look at somebody, you say, you're a dodo. Say, but what I'm really trying to say is I love you. In In the Old Testament. Verse 11. I'm hurrying. I know y'all. Look, y'all ain't even got to worry about eating today. Y'all going to eat enough Thursday to make up for today. I got y'all. Y'all need to fast today. Just kidding. After him was Shammah, the son of A.G., the Herorite. The Philistines had gathered together into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils or peas so that the people fled from the Philistines. So he had a bunch of help at one time helping him farm this land. The Philistines came to attack his harvest, and everybody ran just like what they ran with the former guy. So the people fled from the Philistines. But Shammah stationed himself in the middle of the field by himself and defended it, and by himself killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought a great victory. See, Shammah is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. He, has one of the, he was one of the mighty three, but his claim to fame doesn't come on the battlefield that he went to. His claim to fame come, came and is one of the mighty, three mighty men of Israel because of what he did to defend what God had given him. See, some of the greatest generals are not necessarily the ones that have come up with the greatest battle plans, but some of the generals of the faith that you need to be connected to is not those that have always grown and and been promoted in the faith, and now they've got large crowds. But how about this? There are generals that that have been attacked by the devil from every angle to where it looked like they were going to lose everything they'd ever worked for, but somehow they made it through the greatest attack of their life and they're still standing, you need to find you a shaman. You need to find you a man who is willing to fight for his family. When everybody else thought his fa- told him to move on, when everybody else said his kids were done, just go ahead and wash your hands of the kids. He stood in the midst of his family, and he fought the devil off by himself. Would to God we'd have some people that would stay in the fight when everybody else told us to give up. Everybody else fled. 
even his own family. Shama stood his ground and defended his peas, not just for himself, but for his family and for his people and even for the ones that left him. Listen, the Philistines arrived to take out his harvest, to plunder it. The soldiers only, all the soldiers had fled. His own people had fled except one man. So here comes these mighty soldiers from Philistine on these, on these horses. And they, watch this. He's in the middle of the field. He knew, I don't need to stand in the front of it. I need to stand in the middle of it. Oh, y'all got to get this. He stood in the middle of it because he knew they was going to have to come through his harvest to get to him. See, if he had stood in the front of it, they'd still been standing on their territory. But he positioned himself in the middle to make them walk onto the land that he had declared was his blessing. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Y'all going to get this about late in the night. See, sometimes the devil, you, you've got to watch the devil walk into a place that you would have never dreamed you would ever let him walk in so that you can see the, the white of his eyes. Are you hearing me? So you can look him eyeball to eyeball and he can see what's about to happen to him. So they come in through this harvest, trampling on what he had worked for and walks up to an old man standing in the middle of a, of a field by himself, probably shaking. And I like to say it this way when I used to preach this back in the hay barn. I would say, that, that lead guy from the Philistines' army came up in all his covering on his body, all his protection, slams down his spear, right in the, sitting up on the horse looking down at this pitiful little man. He says, who do you think you are? And the Bible says, Shama looks at him and says, I am Shama. Now, you may not understand that. Until you understand the word Shama is one of the compound names of God. Just like Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shama is one of the compound names of God. It means the Lord is present. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Oh, who do you think you are? The Lord is present and when he said that he unleashed the armies of Israel because Shama had the right to say I am Shama and this is my pea patch you get out of my pea patch what he was saying is, let me tell you something. It may look like I don't have anybody with me, but I am a general, and I've got the armies of God with me. Oh, I am Shama. Get up on your feet right now. Get up on your feet right now. Somebody shout, I am Shama. Are you tired of the devil coming in and intimidating you and taking your stuff? Stand your ground and declare, I am Shama. Not saying you are God. You are saying, I am in the army of the Lord. And the Lord is present. Jehovah God is here. Oh, you think you see what's, what can be seen? But there are soldiers protecting me. There are angels protecting my children. There are angels protecting my even my finances. You get your hands off my harvest. Can you imagine? The man is listed as one of the three top mighty men of the greatest king to ever exist. Simply 
because he defended a people. Let me tell you, ain't it time for you to stand up and tell the devil to get his hands off of your family? Ain't it time? Maybe nobody can see you. Maybe you'll never be on TBN. Maybe Pastor Ragnar won't even know anything about it. Maybe the worship team don't even know what you're going through. But you know what? Your husband or your wife does. Your kids do. Your grandkids do. Your neighborhood does. The kingdom does. More importantly than anything, God sees you. Let me tell you what kind of men. See, see, Shama didn't become that man on his own. He showed up in the cave in debt. He didn't have no harvest. He didn't have no land. But somehow he comes in in debt, sick, diseased, disconnected. And here this man is blessed. He's got land. He's got people that helped him till the land. How did that grace come out of him? He stayed with the man in the cave. He bought into the vision of the general that God put in his life. And now he was a general. Now listen, I know what time it is, 12.08. Don't care. What's this? I'm not going to preach it. I'm not even going to look at it because I look at it, I'll preach it. The next part of this scripture says, and David was tired one day, and he was very thirsty. He was in the midst of battle, and Jerusalem was now protected by the forces of Saul. That if he or his soldiers went in, he knew they'd be killed. But there was a particular well in Jerusalem that had a, had a water that was the most refreshing water that David had ever drank. And he's sitting there in his old age and he's pondering that day, that well. These are the kind of people that surrounded David. This is called buying into the general in your life. He said, this is in your word. He said, oh, how wonderful it would be right now. I'm so thirsty to just have a drink from that particular well in Jerusalem that I used to stop by and drink of. He was just dreaming. And his men heard him. And you know what they did? I longed that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. Keep going. So the three mighty men, the three mighty men, broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew the water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, Went to war, put their lives in danger to get this water for David and brought it to David, gave it to David. David looked at it and says, the Bible says, nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. Look at the next scripture. And he said, far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These three, the, these things were done by the three mighty men. He honored them. They honored him, and he knew what that cup represented. He knew these men could have been killed just to give me a drink of water. I can't do it. See, even in that state, he still, that's a true general. He understood. I'm in the battle with them. Oh, I can't believe that I did this to them. But they were looking and saying, it was no big deal, sir. That's what we want to do for you. I got news for you. I see greatness in you. There are generals. There are captains. There are sergeants. But you know what all the sergeants, captains, generals, five stars, whatever they are, and, and don't, 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 don't let the devil misconstrue those words. We're not talking about elitism. 
talking about faithfulness. They all started out the same. How about this? How about maybe God hasn't called you to be a general and lead 500 people into battle, but how about maybe he's called you to be a mighty man to defend a pea patch? Maybe when everybody else flees the battle, he's causing you to, he's telling you to squeeze that sword even harder and stay in the fight. Maybe when everybody else flees, you'd have all you got left is your spear, and it looks like you're outnumbered 800 to 1, and you are, and you take out 800 demons. Watch what happens. you got to guard your heart because the Bible says after that man took out 800 by himself and everybody else fled and the battle was over, the Bible said they all came back and plundered the spoils of the battle that they had nothing to even do with. And he had to protect his heart to say, it's okay, let them have it. That's a true leader. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, for faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, for those that stayed in the battle. As you stand today, I want you to raise your hands all over this house. Stand to your feet and raise your hands. Say these words, Jesus. As we move into Thanksgiving, I want to say how thankful I am for you. I want to say how thankful I am for all that you've given me and done for me. But more than anything, thank you for dying on the cross for me. If you're here today and you need Jesus as your Savior, you've never, you've never asked him to come into your heart. Maybe you have at some point in your life and you've allowed the work, the pressures of the life to pull you out of fellowship with God and you want to rededicate your life to Him today. While we stand right there with hands raised all over the house, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Who wants to pray that prayer? We're all going to raise our hand because we all got things we need to deal with. Let's just say it together. Jesus, I confess you as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to forgive me for every sin I've ever committed. Come into my heart and save me today.